morning. It's pretty fun to look at grown-ups today. Uh, my daughter was trying to tell me how I should do this, and she was like, are you going to make them put on their thinking caps? I'm like, I think I'll save you guys that trouble, because probably only about two people would actually participate in it. Um, so as James said, I'm Jill, and I'm really excited to be here with you today. Um, We've been looking at some really great examples this summer of people that you need in your life. Um, they've been really positive. They've been mentors, encouragers, butt kickers who will help get you in the right direction. Um, and today we're going to take it a little different way and that we're going to talk about a relationship that we all need that's going to cost you something. And it's going to require something from you, but it's just as essential as all the other positive relationships that you might have in your life. Uh, I, we're going to be looking at Zacchaeus. Um, I grew up in a fairly traditional 1980s and 90s children's ministry program at our church growing up, um, which means I probably remember the story of Zacchaeus as far back in my memory as probably Easter and Christmas, because, I mean, maybe some of you could sing it with me that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Um, he climbed up in a sycamore tree, um, but I'm not going to make you suffer through that. Um, but I think it was probably one of those really great kid stories because they're like, look, he's short, and he climbed a tree. So that must be a really great lesson for kids. Uh, so what I'm excited about is I think there's a whole lot more to the story of Zacchaeus than just the fact that he was short and he climbed a tree. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, we're going to go ahead and turn or go in your app or look up at the screen at Luke 19, 1 through 10. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost." So we look at this, and Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And tax collectors were not very popular people. Um, what they did was they collected the money from the people to pay to Caesar for you know, general taxes, which were pretty outrageous in those days. But they didn't just stop there. They also got to charge the people whatever else they felt like and keep it for themselves. So they were really, really, really wealthy and really hated. And Zacchaeus wasn't just any tax collector. He was a head tax collector, which makes us think that he was even more wealthy and even more hated than all the other tax collectors. So there he is, wanting to see Jesus. He hears he's coming, and so he tries to get there, and there's this big crowd. Um, how many of you have a short friend? Or maybe you are the short friend? Um, when I was on staff at our last church, I was actually one of the tall people there. I'm 5'7", five, 5'8", five, depends on if I'm slouching or standing up straight. And um, most of the guys on staff were at eye level with me. So if I wore heels, it was like, well, hello, pastor, how's it going? And it, so I felt really tall. Um, I know in context there's taller people than me. Um, but I had, this lady was my early childhood director, and she was five foot, half an inch. 
Um, she always made sure and like emphasized that half an inch. Uh, she's like, it's valuable at this height. But there were days when I would have just a little bit of heel on and she'd be wearing flip-flops. And it was seriously like, hello, Amy. How's it going down there? Like I felt huge next to her. But I was aware of her height. So anytime we were like in a crowd or with a group of people, it was like, here, Amy, go in front of me. You know, have you done that? If you're the tall friend, you have your short friend, you're like, here, come on. Or if you're the short friend, you're like, excuse me, let me through, I wanna see. So there's Zacchaeus and there's this crowd and nobody's letting him through. I'm sure people were aware, here's short Zacchaeus, he can't see. And they probably just kind of like spread their stance out a little more and they weren't gonna let him through. So we see even more how Zacchaeus was a reject in his society because they wouldn't even let their short friend come through. And so he had to go climb a tree. So there he is up in this tree and Jesus comes along and here we have Jesus. He's this amazing teacher. He's doing miracles. People are loving him. He's awesome. He could just keep walking along. But what, Zac- what Jesus did with Zacchaeus is the same thing that he did with all the other rejects in their society. You know, there were the prostitutes. There were the tax collectors here. Um, there were lepers, people who were considered unclean or unfit for society. Jesus had this tendency, and this is what I love about him, is he actually took the time to notice these people, and he responded to the people. So it says that he looked up in the tree, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he noticed, he looked at him, and then he responded to him with, I'm going to go to your house today. And then after that is when we see that all the people saw this. Not just some of the people grumbled about it. All the people grumbled about it. So Zacchaeus, while he wasn't a desirable person to be around, he was hated, he had some really negative qualities, um, but he wanted to see Jesus. You wouldn't really classify him as a reject until the people classified him as a reject. So the people, the ones who said, why would you go to him? He's a sinner. They gave him this title of reject. But Jesus, despite the fact that his reputation would get screwed up, despite the fact that nobody thought he should be spending time with Zacchaeus, he still went ahead and noticed and responded. And so because of that, Zacchaeus' whole life was changed. Because it tells us that he got up and said to the Lord, Look, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And then Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Zacchaeus' whole life was changed by Jesus deciding it's okay to spend time with a reject. In fact, he decided this reject deserves some love. So if following Jesus, if knowing him, if loving him, if wanting to be more like him means being changed by him, that means that we need some rejects in our lives, right? You got to look around and find some rejects. Um, Sounds a little awkward, right? Um, like you can't just walk up to somebody and be like, I think you're a reject. Want to be my friend? Um, might not go over so well. But all these other relationships we've been looking at and talking about have something to give us, like we said, like with the encourager, with the mentor. They're all pouring into us. But this is an opportunity for us to be the person who goes out and pours into somebody else. Um, as I was getting ready for this and I was thinking about, all right, Zacchaeus, the reject, someone who's up a tree, um, the easiest thing to like, identify and connect with this story was to think of some examples in my past where either I rejected somebody, I felt rejected, or maybe I was reaching out and including. Um, and I'm one of those people 
who can remember every negative experience in my life in vivid detail. Like, oh, I said the wrong thing to that person? It's going to play over and over and over again. So these are some really vivid memories for me. Um, the first one is when I was in fourth grade. Um, I would definitely not call myself a cool kid. Um, I wasn't super popular, but I did have a good little group of friends. And we thought we were so cool. Maybe we read the Babysitter's Club or something like that. And so we decided to call ourselves the eggshell gang because the shell may break, but the yolk stays together. Like, I seriously thought it was so poetic. But if you really think about it, we should have been the egg yolk game because the shell breaks. Like, but we were the shell, um, so fourth grade. But there was this girl named Emily, and Emily had really, really, really bad eczema. As a fourth grader, I didn't know to call it eczema. I just knew like, her whole face looked really chapped. And she would lick her lips a lot, probably because they were really dry. And she was awkward to be around because she'd just sit there and she'd watch the rest of us play. And so it was awkward and uncomfortable. And there we are as these fourth graders who don't know what to do with someone else's awkwardness. So we decided as the eggshell gang to find our secret hiding spots on the playground. And we would have little codes and we would signal each other like, we're going to go meet over there today. So that way we could go all meet up and Emily wouldn't know where we were. And I think back on it and I'm seriously like, I really wish I could find that Emily again because what a jerk I was to her. Like, I really wish I could go back and be like, fourth grade Jill, that was not okay. Like, this is compassion and this is kindness and shake some sense into myself. Um, but there we were just knowing we didn't get her awkwardness. So poor Emily was up a tree and she probably just really wanted some love. And that's why she was drawn to us. And instead of looking up at her and noticing and responding, we decided to go hide from the tree instead. So that's one of my not-so-shiny moments. Um, then sixth grade came along, and I, you know how I wasn't all that cool? It kind of went downhill from fourth grade. So sixth grade hit, and my nose was growing faster than my face. Um, you know, like, and you're like, it's just that middle school awkward. Um, my face was like super broken out. I didn't understand why washing your hair was all that beneficial. So it was really greasy. And I wore stretch pants with stirrups um, and these big oversized sweaters that had like piano keys across them and a row of teddy bears and then a row of flowers. And those were super cool ones, right? I mean, like really cool. I was wearing them probably five years after they were cool. Like in fifth grade, my teacher and I had the same stretch pants and I'm like, Mrs. Blair and I, look cool together. Like, who cares that she was 50? Like, it's just we're different levels. So that was me as a middle schooler. And I was super scrawny, and I ate candy like none other. Um, I earned a lot of money in babysitting, and I would go spend all my babysitting money at the candy bar, or snack bar at school. I could go through a pack of chewy sprees so fast. Like, they were good. So there I was, ultra awkward, Oh, poor middle school. I look at our middle schoolers here at this church, and they don't look like I looked in sixth grade. Like, you guys are doing a good job, parents, because you have good-looking sixth graders. Like, there is no Jill Nelson in our youth group, I don't think. But there I was. I'd be sitting on the bus after school with my best friend beside me, and the kids in front of me and behind me would just start rail on me. They'd be like, Jill, what color is your tongue? Is it brown? Is that because you eat so much candy? It's like, really, that's what they decided to dish at me? But it was painful. And they would just make fun of my skin and the, the fact that I ate candy so fast, but it was so skinny. And because kids can just be mean and make anything mean. And then they would just rail and rail. And my best friend next to me would just slouch down more and more because you could tell she's like, 
I don't know what to do with this. And so I would just sit there trying to ignore them, waiting till I could get off the bus and go just cry to my mom. And I was up a tree. I was the reject in that moment, and I just wished desperately that my friend would notice the pain I was in and would actually do something about it. So then let's fast forward. I hit high school. Um, I didn't get all that much cooler, but I learned to wash my hair, and I gained some confidence, and I had my good group of friends, and we all were kind of growing together. And my senior year hit, and there were these kids that gradually would just come joining us, lower classmen. When I went to our church, or they were friends with somebody who was friends with someone, and they were awkward. I mean, we would sit there and we would talk about math equations. I mean, my husband might think that sounded fun, but my brain is in English. Um, and they would just gather to us, and we would sit there and we'd be like, this isn't really how we envisioned our senior year of high school, but these kids need to be loved. And so we would sit there, and we would talk with them, and we would listen to their stories. And it was like, there they were, these Zacchaeuses who were up a tree, and we were noticing them, and we were doing something about it, and letting them feel loved. And their group little grew, because suddenly it was like, oh, this is the place where I'm accepted. This is a safe place in the halls of uncomfortable high school. And so that was something that we could see making an impact, and sometimes we would escape to the yearbook room for lunch, just so we could have a break. But we then would go back, and we would love some more, because these kids were up a tree, and desperately wanting to be included. And if we didn't, who would? So as we're thinking about our adult life, because it's a whole lot easier for me to think back than think current, I know that there are Zacchaeuses in all of our adult lives, right? If we just take the moment to think about it, there's that coworker that no one really wants to be caught talking to at the water cooler. Um, there might be that parent at the pickup line who you're like, I'm going to get stuck in that conversation, really? Or maybe it's at the sporting field and you're like, I really hope I don't get stuck with my camp chair next to theirs. Or maybe they're not even showing up because they know they're not going to fit in, because they know that they don't blend in with the main group that's there. Uh, we have Zacchaeuses all over. Maybe they're uncomfortable coming to our church. Maybe they're uncomfortable coming out and joining you on the sidewalk when you and the other neighbors are talking. Maybe they're all over. I mean, we have Zacchaeuses, but they know that they're not fitting in because they're worried you're going to reject them. Mark Twain said, Whenever you find yourself in the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. You can identify the, Zac the Zacchaeus in your life when you are a part of the majority. When you can look around and see, I fit in here. When you have more similarities than differences with the people that you're among, that's when you're in the majority. When you can look around and go, I have a whole lot in common, but that person might not have something in common with me. That's when you're in the majority. And when you're in the majority, that's when we get to look up, you know? It's looking around, seeing who is in a tree right now. Is there somebody who's not blending in? Someone who's not fitting in? Someone who's not comfortable? Someone who might have something different in their life? I mean, it could be social. It could be economical, economic. It could be physical. It could be mental. There could be a whole array of things that are stopping someone from being able to fit in. And when we identify that we're in the majority, that we're part of the group, that's when we need to be looking out, looking up, and seeing who we can pull in to be a part of us. And so that's exactly what Jesus did. He looked up. And that's what we get to do. It seems scary. It seems daunting. Or it could be hard. Um, maybe, though, you're looking around and you're like, I don't think I have a Zacchaeus in my life. Like, you know, I'm super inclusive. Everybody's a part of things. There's nothing wrong with the people around me. 
that's maybe when you need to do a little more looking, okay? Because I can guarantee it, there are Zacchaeuses around there. There are people in a tree. And it might be hard, but maybe we need to just work on our compassion a little bit. Um, I've been spending oh, probably like the last six to eight months studying the word compassion. Um, I was able to prepare for a retreat I spoke at and really look at these really neat qualities of Jesus, and compassion was one of them. And, oh, it's a convicting word to look at. Because it's really easy for me to be like, I'm a compassionate person. I feel bad for people. I mean, right? We feel bad for people. Like, it's, I'm compassionate. But the thing is, when you look at what compassion means, it's the bowels of mercy. Like, that's like deep in your gut, right? I mean, like, it's this feeling that comes from deep down inside. It's deep, deep, deep in you. And real compassion is when you have such a feeling that you are moved Humor could go all over the place with this, like those bowels and movement. But you are moved <laughs> to do something, all right? If it's real compassion, if it's deep in there, if it's in your gut, it's going to push you to do something. Real compassion doesn't just sit in your brain, okay? Real compassion is something you see, and then it's something you just can't help but doing. You have to move to action. So when you look up at that Zacchaeus in your tree, you're going to be moved to action. Except the doing is hard, people. It's super hard. It's going to require some sacrifice. Like, some people might look at you weird. Like, seriously? You're talking to that person? Like, I don't think I really want to come hang out with you if you're hanging out with that person. You might be the only one who's going over to the, Zac the Zacchaeus. You might be thinking in a different way than everybody around you. It's going to be hard. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take time. It's probably going to be exhausting. Uh, but no matter what, we need to be looking at who is climbing up that tree. And maybe, no matter how many times you come back to them, no matter how many times you encourage them to go the right direction, no matter how many times you challenge them and you feel like you're really getting through, and then they go climb up that tree again. And you're like, seriously, Zacchaeus? Could you just come back down so we can talk about things? But it's going to happen, and you need to keep sticking with it. Because the thing is, Jesus related to everybody as someone who deserved to be loved. And that means we need to be relating to everybody as people who deserve to be loved. If we play it safe and comfortable and keep stuffing down those gut feelings, and if we're staying safe and comfortable and we're ignoring the people who are in the tree, how will Zacchaeus's in our lives ever come to understand that Jesus gives them worth? If we play it safe and we keep it comfortable and we ignore those gut feelings and we keep pushing them down, how are we ever going to be shaped to be more and more like Jesus, right? Like, that's what we should want as believers. Like, I want to grow to be more like him. I want to, like, learn from him and do what he did and follow in his steps. And so if I'm deciding that compassion needs to just stay in my brain, how am I being like Jesus? We need to be looking around. So showing action, like the actual action part of compassion, it's overwhelming at first, right? You're like, where do I even start? Like, Sometimes it's easier to just shut off our awareness of pains and hurts in this world than to actually dive into how you do something, right? You're like, I see a whole lot of problems in this world, and I see a whole lot of hurts in people, and I feel like if I were to, like, start doing something, it's Pandora's box, and I don't even know where to go, right? I mean, just ask my husband. When our house gets too out of control messy, I just don't know where to start, so I read a book, Okay. And then it gets even more messy. And then I'm like, maybe I'll just go read another book. And then Netflix is really great. And suddenly it's so out of control. I have no idea where to start. I mean, as a kid, my mom would have to come sit on my bed and be like, Jill, pick up all your dirty clothes. 
put them in the laundry basket, right? Okay, now let's pick up all the Barbies and let's put them in the Barbie box, right? It's overwhelming to think of where do I start when this world just seems so messed up. So I've got some places for you to start, okay? Because I like this. I mean, the front of your bulletin is a great place to take notes. That's because I fight for those types of spaces. I'm like, we need our note space, right? Sadie hears me. I see her taking notes. Yes, so I've got three things for you to help you work on your compassion. The first thing, so if you're looking around and you don't see Zacchaeus, or maybe you don't know how to help Zacchaeus, the first thing you can do is build your empathy. That empathy is a big word for us. Spend five minutes each day putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And that might take, like, looking at a newspaper article, actually reading something that comes across your Facebook wall that you'd really rather ignore. Um, maybe it's going to take thinking about a person in your life, a neighbor, a family member, somebody that is a little bit different. All right, take that, think about them, and don't shy away as soon as you think, oh, that must be awful. That doesn't mean you've reached the point of compassion. So take that point of, oh, that must be awful, and then delve deeper into what it must be like to be that person. Go that next step with it. That will help you build compassion. Number two, learn to pause before speaking or having judgmental thoughts. Oh, that's a hard one. That's an uncomfortable one because I like to talk, and I like to talk quick, and I don't like to have to pause. But the thing is, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit time to override your natural tendency to, like, speak or to judge or to make opinions, um, you could even say a simple prayer like, Lord, guard my heart or guide my heart. Either one. Let him take it that direction. That pause can actually give you a whole lot of time to think more compassionately. Help, it'll even help you see why people might be behaving the way they are. And then number three is recognize barriers to compassion. It's really hard to feel annoyed and compassionate at the same time. Frustration, suspicion, irritation, bitterness, dislike, and anger are all signs that you might not be very compassionate, all right? So that might show you that you're looking at others without compassion. You're like, seriously, Jill, could you just ease up a bit? But these are all things I struggle with. I'm like, man, when I'm so angry and annoyed, compassion is sure not on my brain. And it's definitely not a characteristic that I'm living out. You guys, we're living in a world where relationships are getting more and more complicated. I mean, I feel like navigating that what I like and don't like on Facebook takes a whole lot of planning, right? Because if I just click like on one thing, all of a sudden I've polarized half my friends list. And I see someone else hit like on something else, and I'm like, oh, really? That's you? I didn't know that about you. I don't think we can be friends. I mean, we're in this world where we have Zacchaeus up trees all over, and we're having to decide which Zacchaeus do I actually care about. And that's challenging, isn't it? So here's the thing. Stop it, okay? Just stop it. Let's be like Jesus, and let's love those Zacchaeus who are up trees. It's hard. We need these rejects to be there with us, okay? Remember, they're only reject because all the people in Scripture gave him that title. Jesus didn't give him the title of reject. Jesus loved him dearly. Jesus saw him and wanted to be with him. So he cared more about the reject than he cared about his reputation. His compassion spoke louder than the crowd. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to do the same thing. Um, we moved into a new house a few months ago. And in our new house, there's kids next door who are pretty close in age to my kids, and they are socially awkward, okay? But they are fascinated by us. They will, like, see that we are outside because we have a trampoline, so it's really obvious, and my kids are the loudest kids in the world. 
really loud. And then we added our eight-year-old niece for six weeks of summer, and she's even louder. So it's obvious when the Nelsons are outside. And so they hear us, and they come running outside, and they have a water table, and then they put this giant bulldozer, and like they climb up these toys, and they peek over the fence at us. And they just watch us. And the sister is really talkative. So she'll just talk and talk and talk, and we hear all about her parents and what they do and all that stuff. Whereas the boy like just watches. And he just watches and watches and watches. And it's kind of awkward. Um, well, the other day, so their dad propped up a ladder against their shed right next to the fence, so at least they're safer when they come watch us now. Um, and so the other day, this little boy climbed up the ladder, and Nolan and I are out grilling dinner because we're crazy and remodeling our kitchen, and there is no kitchen right now. So we're outside, we're grilling, and we're getting the picnic table ready, and this little boy is just sitting there watching us. And I'm like, how's it going, Alex? And you know, he's holding this tag, and he starts talking. And we cannot hear a word he is saying. Like, it would be really easy to just be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, what, you know, what I do to my kids all the time. Um, and I'm like, really? But as I'm listening carefully to what he's saying, I realize he's telling me that he got a new belt in karate. And he's telling me the color that his mom and his sister are. And he's talking about these things that are really important to him. And so it's like it takes some work, and we're having to listen carefully, but we're able to have a real conversation with him. And then the kids came to join us for dinner, and pretty soon my eight-year-old niece starts noticing that he's talking, but she can't understand him. So she's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, like in that mocking way. And then my four-year-old daughter joins in on that, and I'm like, you guys, stop it. Like, this is not okay. We are kind. We are nice people. You know, it's like, get it, get it together, children. You know, like, I'll teach you compassion later when I feel like it toward you. Um, but, you know, it's like this, no, he is valuable. And it made me think of Zacchaeus. There's Zacchaeus up the tree. Here's little Alex on his ladder. You know, these Zacchaeuses are around us, and they just want to be a part of things, and they just want to be loved and included. How often are we actually taking the time to take that position that we have to pull someone in and to show them love? When Jesus responded to Zacchaeus, his whole life has changed. He gave back half of his possessions. Four times what he took from people, he gave it to them. He was giving, giving, giving back. Um... My younger brother was up a tree in middle school. He was more socially awkward than I was. And he would go to church. And I know he was thinking about Jesus and trying to figure out who Jesus was and put God's story together because we had those conversations. But then he would go to church and he would see that they would teach about a God of love, but he wouldn't actually see love in God's people. And it was really hard for him. And so before long, he decided he'd rather just climb back down from that tree and go back the other way. He didn't need to see Jesus anymore. And I've seen his life and how that was such a significant moment when he decided he didn't need to follow Jesus. And I just over and over and over again wish someone had taken the time to notice that Mike was up a tree and had taken the time to say, you're not a reject. You're a part of us. You are loved. Let me pull you in despite your awkwardness and your uncomfortableness and the fact that you just think differently. And they, I wish someone had pulled him in. I wish someone had mentored him. And so because of that, I feel like I've been given this mission in my life that I want to love people who come in my, my life. Like, I don't have the privilege of deciding who's deserving of God's love or not because God's already made that decision. You know, God already said all people are worthy of his love and all people are valued and created in his image and worth going to their house for. So I really wish someone had done that for Mike, but I'm like, you know, I can do that for a whole lot of other people. And just think Grove people, like if we all went out and looked up in those trees and showed some love and brought someone down and went to their house, we could change eternity for them. Like that's a big deal. 
And we need them in our lives just as much as they need us. Like, we need to go show them love because we want to be shaped to be more like Jesus. And we need the way that they can help us think differently and influence us and push us. And it's amazing. And we need the mentors. We need the butt kickers. We need the um, encouragers. We need those people around us to hold us up and to challenge us and to pray for us and equip us as we're stepping out and looking up in those trees. So I hope that we can join together this week and we can look up instead of looking down and actually do something about it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you looked up, that you noticed people and that you did something about it. We thank you for your example of compassion, of your humility, of who you were. We thank you for the Zacchaeuses. Lord, if there's anyone who feels a barrier to be able to enter our church, we ask that you would just be powerful and show us how we can love them. Uh, May our neighborhoods and our communities and our families and our friendships, everything be transformed by who you are this week. In your name we pray. Amen.